And his master commended the dishonest manager, for he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you once again to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's it. Now, before we tackle this incredibly strange parable that Jesus tells, I want to take a second to talk about how the Bible works. We've been sort of involved in a really informal series about this idea over the last few weeks, both here in the pulpit and at TBS, our Tuesday morning Bible study, which I continue to commend to you all. But the point of this is that it's very hard to understand what the Bible has to say until you understand how the Bible works. And today's reading from Luke is a perfect case study about why this is so important. How are we supposed to understand what is going on here? Well, it has everything to do with how we approach the Bible. You just heard the story. A manager is accused by the boss of being dishonest with the money. So he's getting fired. He's got a week or two or whatever to get his affairs in order and worried that he'll have to find real work and without having the skills and he's too ashamed to beg for money, this manager decides to go out to the people who owe the boss and to radically reduce their debt so that they'll feel good about him and perhaps welcome him into their homes when they get fired. Just for the record, it's important for you to note that even though this manager is in the process of getting fired, these actions he's he's up to now are still legally binding, right? So he's reducing debts, and so these people will only have to pay the master this reduced amount. So the manager has been cheating the boss, that's why he's getting fired, and now on his way out the door, he's cheating the boss even more for completely selfish reasons. And what happens? Not only does the boss commend him for acting shrewdly, but Jesus throws in his two cents too. And I tell you, he says, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Uh, What? (laughs) Is Jesus telling us that this world is crooked, so we should be crooked too, but to make sure to get something out of it for ourselves? Is the dishonest manager the good guy in the story or the bad guy? What is going on here? And so when I first approached this parable, trying to understand it, I did what everybody does when they read a parable of Jesus. I looked at the different characters and I tried to figure out who was supposed to be me and who was supposed to be God. This is how we try to figure out a parable. 
really this figuring out process is how we approach the Bible in general, isn't it? We, we approach the scriptures like a research scientist, right, ready to do all sorts of experiments on it, to try to understand it, to figure out what's going on in there. We treat the Bible like the frog in high school biology class that we have to dissect, right? It's lying there, dead, splayed open before us, totally inert, and we've got the lab coat and the scalpel, and we're in charge of figuring out what's going on inside that frog. We are the investigators, and the Bible is that thing which we're investigating. We are the examiners, and the Bible is the subject of our examination. But this is not how the Bible actually works. Listen for a second to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, which says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Did you hear that? Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. The word of God is the scalpel. It cuts the joints and the marrow. We're not the investigators. We're not the examiners. The Bible is. Listen, we don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets us. We are the biology frog, and the Word of God is in charge of showing us the often awful truth about what's going on inside of us, but then announcing that into that awful truth, a Savior has come. And so when we approach a story like the one Jesus tells about the dishonest manager, we can put away our scalpel, we can hang up our lab coat. We don't have to worry about all the fine-tooth questions that automatically start rattling around in our heads, like how much did the dishonest manager skim off the top? Just how dishonest was he? How did the boss find out? We can stop looking for ourselves in the story, stop looking for God. We no longer have to ask questions like, are we the manager? Are we the debtors? Perhaps the boss. Who is Jesus going to say is right? Is he going to call anyone a sinner? Do the jugs of olive oil or the containers of wheat have any secret significance? Do they represent the tribes of Israel? Or maybe they predict the exact date of the rapture. Stop. Take a deep breath. Remember, you don't have the scalpel. The Bible does. Remember, you are not the scientist. You see, when we approach the Bible like a scientist looking for answers, we cast ourselves in the role of subject and Scripture as object. We are acting on it. But in truth, the Bible is a book about us, but it's a book about us as object and about Jesus as subject. He acts on us. So let's 
take a step back and let the word of God do its work. Let the word of God dissect us. At its most simple level, this is a story about a guy who finds himself in a tight spot. Sound familiar? The Bible has already begun to interpret you. It's already telling you things about yourself. This manager gets himself into a position where he's trapped between the boss and the people who owe the boss money. He's going to have to pick between them. Does he side with his boss, his superior, perhaps by trying to collect more than is owed so that he can repay his own debt to the boss? Or does he side with the debtors by cutting the debts to ingratiate himself with them? The story is ultimately about a guy who has to choose sides. It's a story about you. The Bible is doing its interpretive work on its object. You and your heart. It's telling you about you. On the one hand, the manager can try to ingratiate himself to the higher-ups. And honestly, this is probably the first thought that most of us would have if we were in the situation. Get in trouble with the boss? Do better. Show him or her that not only is that episode over, but from now on, we're going to be the best darn employee ever. Right? You work more hours. You go the extra mile. You stand out. And you make it impossible for the boss to fire you. This is our natural instinct. The same is true of our relationship with God. If you think of God as your boss, which many do, but which, by the way, is the worst possible thing you could ever do in your life. But if you do think of God as your boss, you begin to feel that pressure to be the best employee, the best Christian of all time. I'll help the most homeless people, you might say. I'll give more to the church than I've ever given before. I'll be so nice to that person that I hate that God will surely notice and give me extra credit. This is how we live our lives. We treat God as if he were our boss and we're on our third strike. We must be careful to be good or else. The manager goes the other way. He aligns himself with the people who owe the boss. He sides with the people below him rather than with the person above him. And he's right. Both the boss in the story and Jesus telling the story commend him. This apparently is the choice to make. But why? Why not try to go up rather than down. When your job is in jeopardy, why not try to save yourself? In his letter to Timothy that we read from this morning, St. Paul talks about what he calls the truth. He wants the people to whom Timothy is working with to come to believe in this truth. 
He says that God, our Savior, desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in the next verse, he explains what the truth is. There is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This is the good news in a nutshell. There is one God, and Jesus stands between us and this God, giving his life as a ransom for all. This is why you don't have to try to save yourself. Because you already have a Savior. Of course, if Jesus is giving himself as a ransom, then it implies that there is some price that needs to be paid, a debt. Jesus came to be a ransom. He came to pay off a debt. And as we know, it's God's requirements, his law, his standards that create a debt. We have lived lives that fall short of the glory of God. What we have to give to God falls woefully short of what he has given to us. God is selfless and requires selflessness. All we have to give is selfishness. God is love and requires love. But all we have to give is conceit. God is righteous and requires righteousness. All we have to give is sin. We cannot pay what is required. Our accounts have been investigated and they've come up short. Sound familiar? The Bible is interpreting you. We need to be saved from this debt, but the only thing we have to contribute to our salvation is the debt itself. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we need to be saved. We cannot save ourselves. And this is why the manager in Jesus' story does what he does. Now, in the story, the, the dishonest manager aligns himself with those below him for a very practical reason, right? So that when the hammer comes down, when he's finally kicked out the door, he'll have a place to sleep at night, a roof over his head and a warm meal in front of him at the table. Think about it this way. If the manager, presented with this sticky situation, went to the people and charged them more, trying to make up what he owed to the master, he would, in effect, be saying, I'm not like you. You're debtors. I'm a lender. But that's not what he does. And you know what? That's not the truth. Remember what St. Paul said about the truth. There is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. The truth is that we are all debtors. 
We have all fallen short. This is what the Bible tells us about ourselves. The Bible comes to us with the scalpel, opens us up, and reveals to us our shortcomings. It's wiser to align yourself with the debtors instead of the lenders, not out of the goodness of your heart, but because you are one of them. It is the debtors who need to have a ransom paid. This drive that we all have within us to save ourselves, the struggle to be the best employee, the best Christian ever, is in fact a struggle to get out of the group of people to whom Jesus came. I have come, he said, not for the righteous, but for sinners. When we insist on holding the scalpel and being the interpreter, we focus on how the story Jesus tells might help us come out on the right side of his closing statement. That whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you who have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches. When we're the investigator, we fixate on what we ought to do. How can we be faithful? But if the Word of God is the scalpel, if the Bible interprets us, then we focus not on what we ought to do, but on who we are. The Word of God exposes us. We are the dishonest. We are the faithless. This is what Jeremiah is lamenting when he says, I hurt, I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? We hurt We mourn, dismay has taken hold of us. But this is not the final word, it never is. After the Bible interprets you and shows you just how deep your debts are and how unable you are to repay them, then God's word announces that there is good news. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a great physician who heals us with his blood. There is one who came to pay your debts for you. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who not only doesn't owe God anything, but who is in fact God himself, decided to become a debtor for us. He took our debts onto his shoulders and paid them in full with his blood. In him, we are free. Through him, we have new life. By him, we are healed. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. Who gave himself a ransom for you.
Amen.